from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. Wherever you find your podcast, you can find us here at the Craig Needles Podcast. And uh, a little bit late uh, on the episode this week, we typically do Tuesdays, doing a Wednesday episode this week. I was uh, very busy uh, covering the, uh, the vigil for our London family, the Afsal family, which I will say that uh, uh, the folks at, uh, at YCCI, the uh, Youth Coalition Combating Islamophobia, deserve a ton of credit for uh, how well executed that uh, event was and how great a job they did. So uh, good for them and good for everyone involved in organizing. Uh, let's talk about uh, a story where it's not a good for them, uh, a story where it's more of a uh, you're shaking your head and sighing once again. Uh, and a few different angles to the story I wanted to chat about with uh, the Deputy Mayor of London, Sean Lewis, who's been kind enough to uh, join us here in the studio today. Hello, Sean. Thank you for doing this. Hello, Craig. Always, always got time to join you. Uh, so first, I, I want to ask you about the remarks that you made at London City Hall earlier this week uh, in, in regards to celebrating Pride Month. Then we'll talk about a story that has come from the fact that this is uh, Pride Month. So you talked about the way that things have changed in London, but it's not that long ago where something like Pride Month being a universally accepted or not universally accepted, but generally accepted thing in this community. Uh, that's not something that's been going on for all that long. It's London's got some pretty negative history here and it's not terribly far in the past. And you had a pretty good speech about that yesterday. Well, it absolutely is not that far in the past. In fact, it is, uh, you know, I haven't lived in London my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I arrived here in my 20s, um, was born and raised in, in Wallsburg, a small town in, in Kent County, uh, not far from here, about an hour and a half down the road, but nonetheless, a small town, ended up making London my home. And I arrived in this city at a time when we were arguably in one of the darkest moments of this city's relationship with the LGBTQ plus community, uh, which was the era of Diane Haskett mm-hmm. and the refusing the pride proclamations and the subsequent Ontario Human Rights uh, Tribunal complaint that both the mayor and the city were found guilty in uh, and, and paid the price for. Uh, as well, it, it was a time when uh, then Police Chief Julian Fantino was running his now much maligned and judged by history as a gay witch hunt, Project Guardian, which which you know was alleging that London was somehow a hotbed of child pornography and there and was an alleged child porn ring that never existed that it never existed yeah uh, in fact it, it came to light years later that when the chief held his little media conference the VHS tapes behind him were blanks um, no charges related to child pornography were ever laid uh, yeah there were some drug charges mm-hmm. surprise surprise it was the nineties people yeah. were um, doing illegal drugs. Um, there were some prostitution charges, but that was the extent of it. There was no hidden porn ring or, or groomer ring or whatever, because mm-hmm. it didn't exist. And it, it was just a witch hunt. So that was the kind of London environment that I arrived in the city in. Frankly, it's amazing. I stuck around. Um, <laughs> yeah. there were, there was some serious questioning my judgment of this. Is this really the place I want to be? Uh, but I have watched it change over the years. I've watched it get better. And and I credit trailblazers uh, like uh, Gina Barber uh, and our friend Cheryl Miller, yep. uh, who's a frequent guest here uh, from from City Council's past, who were participating in in Pride festivals. Uh, Megan Walker is another one who were 
participating in those festivals long before it was, uh, you know, the politically correct or the trendy or or just the normal thing to do. Um, MPs like Irene Matheson, even before she was elected, out there participating in those things. But it was not until the term of Joe Fontana, which was only 2010 to 2014, that we finally had a mayor march in the Pride Parade. And not only that, but we finally had a police chief and the London Police Services join him uh, and march in that parade. Um, I can remember some prides before that. One that really sticks out was on Dundas Street, before it was Dundas Place, yep. uh, where the Pride Festivals were actually contained within uh, temporary fencing. So it actually felt like you were in a inside a, a prison yard mm-hmm. uh, rather than at a festival. So that was the way that London used to approach Pride. Uh, but it's changed over the years because trail, and I said in my remarks last night, you know, I, I'm only able to be in the position I am today as as our city's deputy mayor, as somebody who can be openly, an openly gay man and still be elected to public office because of the work of trailblazers that came before me, including uh, some of those representatives that I've mentioned. Uh, and there were others. Uh, I, I know our friend Roger Caranchi was one of the early trailblazers there too, so credit to him. Um, but it has gotten better. And I remember in, in 2018, before I was elected, uh, going in front of the Corporate Services Committee, uh, because the mayor had made a comment about apologizing for the previous mayor's yes. actions. But it was not just the mayor's job to do, because it was all of council's choice mm-hmm. back in the 90s to do this, not just the mayor's. And so I went and said, it's really, it's all of council's responsibility to apologize, not just Mayor Brown's at the time. And... They listened and they took action and, you know, full credit to uh, now Mayor Morgan and at that time, Councillor Morgan and Councillor Helmer, who who brought forward the motion for Council's apology and, and got it through. Uh, and that was supported unanimously. So there, there's been a sea change here uh, within the leadership ranks. And, and certainly we've got a, a PRISM group at City Hall now, uh, which is uh, LGBTQ staff members and allies who who you know, have an opportunity to come together and support each other that way. We've got a very supportive senior leadership team at City Hall. And we see it out in the community too, the fact that, you know, pride flags are flying at, at schools, uh, that they're they're seen in stores in downtown London, in, in windows, letting people know that they're pride-friendly establishments to shop at. The, the London that was here when I first arrived here, I could never imagine it being the London today. Mm. So full, full credit to those people who've worked so hard to get us to that point. Uh, But as I said in my remarks yesterday, we still have a long way to go. And in fact, we're seeing a backslide. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you about. You you mentioned how we've seen a lot of things progressing, but are we going in reverse? And this is not just a London thing, but it's it's almost become a societal thing that that somehow, uh, you know, the LGBTQ2S community has become this political lightning rod it just it it doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at the facts and it's just it's translated to municipal federal provincial politics all the way through absolutely and we saw it about a month or so ago now in Norwich township yep. you know glaring example and the original motion that councillors put on the floor was specifically targeting pride banners and pride flags it was a targeted attempt to ban displays of lgbtq support in Norwich Township in, on municipal properties. It was only on the fly when they realized that they were going to be in real serious legal trouble that they changed the motion at the last moment to just ban everything. Right. Um, and But we knew what they were trying we, to do. It was very obvious to everybody what they mm-hmm. were trying to do. And it, it actually led to 
the resignation of Councillor Alicia Stubbs, who who said enough is enough. I am not going to be a part of this. I am not going to be a part of oppressing people. And we are experiencing these backslides, and it's largely pushed, well, by what I'm going to call religious extremists, yeah. by people who who want to say, if you don't see the world through our faith lens, then you don't have a place here. You know, and, and we've heard it from shop owners in Norwich Township that members of that particular church have approached them and said, if you open in, on Sundays, you won't be a part of the business community here long because we'll never come to your business. We'll make sure you fail. Uh Sounds like a protection racket, but yeah. uh, yeah, very much right. Yep. That sounds like something out of a, a New York City Italian mafioso kind of yeah. approach to things. Nice business here. It'd be a shame if something were to happen to it. Yeah, um, those kind of threats. But we've even seen it here as recently as yesterday. Yeah, where I uh, well, and I said in my remarks, and, and I know we're going to talk about an incident that happened at a London school. But before I even got into the office yesterday. Uh, I was provided some screenshots of some threats that were sent to the Wortley Pride group yeah. about how people were going to uh, organize and disrupt their event because they weren't going to uh, allow for a drag queen story time in the park. Um, There's some uh, letters going around, some misinformation as well, saying about what, what's going to be happening at Wortley Pride and sort of misrepresenting what, what is going to be occurring uh, that day. So it's there. there's a lot of trouble surrounding that particular event, which had some trouble a year ago as well. Yes. So that's I was going to say that, you know, Wortley Pride in their first Pride ever last year experienced a disruption. And now they're getting threatened with one again. I will tell you, Councillor Frank and I are both going to be there. We are not going to be intimidated by these bully thug tactics. Uh, I'm going to be there too. And we're going to stand with the, the with the Wortley Pride community. I told my daughter there's face painting. She's in. I bet she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure Peyton uh, could get a Spider-Man face paint or something too if he wanted. He does wanted, not like so. face painting, but he will okay, be there. Okay, <laughs> well, then we'll let him skip the face painting yeah. part. But I'm sure that he will find other He'll things find to do that to are do. fun for yep. him. And. And really, that's what Pride's all about, is is having fun and just celebrating our differences and, and who we are. Um, but we've had those threats made again. And so, you know, be, like I said, before I even got in, into the office, I was reaching out to our new police chief by email. I was reaching out to our, our city hall security chief. I was having conversations about uh, the potential public safety uh, threat that was going to occur on Saturday. Um, so it's really disappointing that here we are in 2023 with all the progress we made, we're still facing this bullying and intimidation tactics by, by these extremists who want to silence things. And, and you know what? I got to call what, call it what I see it. It's hate mongering. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the, the, the false flyers that are going around. I mean, anybody who believes these things are legitimately produced by a pride organization, first of all, they clearly have never met, never met a gay person because there's no color. It's all one font. It's all there's no sense of style there whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to play into a stereotype, but uh, there's they, no. They would have had a graphic designer of some note that would have been uh, yeah. Most pride advertisements are going to have at least a rainbow on them you somewhere. Would think. Yeah. No, this was a a cheap black and white photocopied thing alleging that there were going to be lap dances for children with drag queens at this story time in the park which ought absolutely no. ridiculous um that would be against the rules uh yeah that would be against the rules yeah. we we do have uh some rules in this country that apply and that would be a problem um but no contact information and you know we had an email from a pastor yesterday you know just going off all kinds of really negative language in it 
who never bothered to check the authenticity of this. Yeah. You know, one quick message through Facebook or a phone call or an email uh, to the Pride organizers would have confirmed that this is, in fact, absolutely false. This is not what's happening, and it was not put out by their organization. But no, the, the, the reaction was to jump on the moral outrage bandwagon uh, and be a part of this. And, and this is exactly what the people who are spreading this want. They want to create division. They want to create hatred. They don't want to see the world through any other lens but their own. Yeah. And I think there are some, and, and more in the United States and Canada, but there are some negative political actors who see these uh, issues and they, they say, hey, I can use this as a wedge issue. And hey, we're going to quote unquote own the libs by being mad about this pride event or that flag being there or whatever it happens to be. And they, I think there's a lot of politicians in the Republican Party, as an example, who truly don't care. But they do care about getting votes from people who do care. And, you know, it's, so it's just a, it's a cynical, cynical game. And there are people, there are lives on the line here. It's sad. Yeah, it's it's dog whistle politics at its absolute worst. Um, but beyond that, I, you know, like I said, it's just pure hate mongering at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's too bad. And I, I wanted to ask you about what happened at um, at Banting Secondary School. So yesterday at the school, the flag was uh, was at half staff. Uh, for uh, to commemorate uh, the deaths of the Afzal family, which I was talking about earlier in the podcast. And because this was the case, um, a group of students were able to rip the pride flag down from the school's flagpole and put it on the ground and stomp on it. Well, a whole lot of people watched that happen. That's, that's, that's difficult to watch for a variety of reasons. For starters, I'm sure there were some LGBTQ2S plus students who were watching that, and that would have been very difficult for them to see, uh, that going on at their school and, and thinking, hey, is my school a safe place for me to be? We don't want anyone wondering whether their school is a safe place for them to be. But it's also hard to watch from the perspective of, you know, for so long we heard, oh, okay, yeah, there are some people that have negative uh, negative feelings about someone who's gay or someone who's trans or someone who's lesbian. But this this is something that's, that's going away as the generations progress and, you know, as, as time marches on, social attitudes change. Uh, that's not what we saw here. We saw we saw high school students doing this. So there, there's a lot of reasons why this was a difficult piece of footage to watch. Yes. So two days in a row that my morning has started off pretty crappy. Yeah. Um, first with the, the uh, threats to the Wortley Pride festival yesterday morning and then uh, with the news of this happening at uh, Banting Secondary School yesterday, uh, it really, really has a an impact uh, personally. It makes you wonder why you're you're fighting the good fight for the benefit of this community when, when there are people who would happily um, drag you down and, and, you know, frankly assault you if they could. Yeah. Uh, I think in some cases... Um, it's, it's especially hurtful to see this kind of behavior though, from secondary students. And, you know, this comes back to uh, a topic that we discussed uh, a few episodes ago on your podcast, uh, with the absences, uh, a high level, uh, uh, at Eagle Heights uh, of school. absences, at particularly at Eagle Heights, although there were some at other public yep. schools as well on the day that the pride flags were raised and the people who chose to keep their kids home that day, um, because this kind of behavior starts from a place of ignorance. Mm -hmm. It starts from a pl place of lack of understanding. And from that ignorance 
that lack of understanding, uh, that lack of seeing individuals uh, who are different than you still as human beings, that's what leads to hate. And that's what leads to these kind mm-hmm. of, of activities. And so it's really, really saddening to see that happening in a younger generation. But it starts with parents keeping their kids from this information. It starts with parents feeding the ignorance uh, and, and allowing those biases to exist. And that's where we've got to do a better job. Um, I, you know, and I'm, listeners know that I, one of the other hats uh, that I wear in life is uh, I've spent eight years being involved in minor hockey. Um, my being gay has never been an issue to the kids I coach. doesn't matter. Right. I'm just coach Sean. All right. I'm just the, the trainer who puts the ice packs on them when they get banged up or tapes up, uh, the, the injury or bandits bandages up the cuts or whatever. Um, that's who I am to them. It, the, the fact that I'm gay doesn't matter. And so I, I've been so encouraged by that side of seeing young people, just not caring it not being an issue it's a non-thing um from a community that actually has had more than its fair share of discrimination and and even sexual assault issues uh with yeah the hockey community is not perfect as high up as the nhl yeah we've we see it right up to the nhl so there's a community there that needs some some work as well but in my personal experience it's never been an issue right right And, and so to see this still continuing to be an issue with our youth, it's it's really disheartening. But I will say this, uh, I have been putting up with this crap really my whole life. Right. Um, and I'm not going to be intimidated and I'm not going to stop talking about it uh, because first of all, I don't want to see another kid have to deal with that. And, and unfortunately they do. But if any, I can do anything to minimize that uh, for the next generation, I will. Um, because it's important, but also because, and you know, Craig, I, I did not get into this role as as a city councilor or as a deputy mayor now, uh, to advocate for a platform of LGBTQ equity. I got into this because I wanted roads fixed. I wanted parks improved. I wanted my community, particularly in the Argyle neighborhood to get what I saw as its fair share that, that it wasn't getting while the rest of the city was, uh, and I've worked hard to deliver on those things. I, I did not seek out this role to right. be an advocate for this issue. But things have changed. It feels like things have changed. You were first elected five years ago, and it feels like things have changed even since then. Yes. To the negative, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I feel because I am in a position of leadership and, and of, of influence, and because of who I am, I, I feel a duty and a responsibility to use that for good. Um, and, and I hope that... Uh, uh, former councillor Stubbs might hear this somewhere because I know she admonished her fellow councillors in Norwich Township to use their positions for good. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do when I'm speaking out about these things is use this position for good so that others don't have the same sort of negative experiences that I had uh, as a young person or that I've had even as a young adult in this city so that they see the world getting better for them too. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. And, and you know, we talked about the Eagle Heights thing, and, and and I know that both of us got in a little bit of hot water with with, with some of the comments we made online and on the on the podcast, and uh, some some of the criticisms I thought were were, were warranted and, and fair, and I understood the arguments. Some of them were completely out to lunch, but the with, with Eagle Heights, the person I felt bad for is you know, there's a kid who is is gay or is a lesbian or or in sitting in one of those classrooms. 
and looks around school that day and says, oh, man, this this place is like really, really sparsely populated today. And I know exactly why that would hurt. That would be really difficult more if you're 13 that, or 14. Yeah. More important than that, Craig, and you yeah. said this at the end of that podcast. And, and I think it was the most poignant thing that any of us said during that podcast. Yeah, it was impactful and hurtful to that kid who was sitting in a half empty classroom knowing that their peers were home because of them. But even more so, 400 absences plus. There was a, a gay yep. or lesbian or, or bi or trans 13 or 14 year old child who was kept home by their parents who denied their own child's existence without even knowing it because their child doesn't have the ability to be out in their home because doing that would be dangerous. Yeah. I, I feel bad for that kid too, obviously. So uh, I want to take this opportunity though to, to say that after that last podcast, mm-hmm. uh, I had some good conversations with some community leaders. Uh, among them, our friend Mariam Hamu, yes. uh, the former Ward 6 counselor, uh, but some other leaders, and in particular, some leaders from the Muslim community, because obviously that was the community that uh, other media outlets had identified was the the mass absence right. source. And I will say, uh, I had Muslim parents from Eagle Heights messaging me about what had gone on. No, they had sent their kids to school that day, but I had them sending me DMs and emails sort of explaining, hey, here's what happened. So I, I don't think it's unfair for us to say from witness testimony that it was a lot of the kids that were gone that they were Muslim kids. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that that's perfectly fair, but I think it's also worth saying that there were a lot of kids in school that day who were also Muslim kids. Yes. Yeah. And, and th- uh, those are the, those are the parents who I heard from. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, we need to be always cognizant and, and I appreciate my, my friends having that conversation with me of not painting the, any one community uh, with a brush uh, that applies to all because there are differences within every community. Of course, sir. Just as there are within the LGBTQ plus community itself. In fact, I can remember a time when the gay community and the lesbian community in London didn't particularly want to associate with each other all that much. Right. Um, It was each their own and go your separate ways. Uh, That has changed over the years. Strength in numbers, right? But there's there's where the differences are. And I think especially for, uh, you know, you started out talking about the Afsal family and, and, you know, I will say yes, kudos to the organizers for a, a very good job in organizing the vigil and remembrance of the family yesterday. But, you know, one of the things that I want to say that came out of that conversation with my Muslim friends from the last podcast is mm-hmm. whether it's the Muslim community or the LGBTQ plus community, whether it's Islamophobia or homophobia, neither one of our communities can afford to make extra enemies right now. Yeah. We're both communities are under attacks for different reasons, for, for different uh, perspectives. But the, the end and result in, can be the but same. But the end result and, is and, people. And in some cases yep. fatal, as we saw yep. two years ago. Uh, and, and more cases of depression, yep. uh, and especially amongst young people, more cases of depression, of self-harm, of suicide, of, of mental illness. And, and that reality uh, is not limited to one particular demographic. It's, it's an experience when, when your community is under attack, that is a a feeling, uh, that has some universal consequences, whether it's the Muslim community, whether it's the LGBTQ plus community, whether it's, you know, we've, we've seen this in the past in London, um, with some of the issues around violence against women, right. And the work that the incredible work that people like Megan Walker at 
the London Abuse Women's Center and, and Jesse Roger at Nanova have done in terms of bringing that issue to the forefront. And we've seen them be attacked for saying, oh, yeah. well, you know, what about the women who abuse men and, blah, you know, tr- trying to divide, trying to, and not that that doesn't happen because there are women yeah. who, who abuse their male partner too, but. If you look at the stats, it typically it's, it's typically the other way. It skews yeah. pretty hard one way. Yeah. Um, but there are exceptions to those rules. But again, it's that, it's that mentality of divide. Create divisions, create anger, create fear about the other. And, you know, uh, I'm a big Star Wars nerd. Master, mm-hmm. Master Yoda said it. Fear leads to hate. Yep. And and that's where we've got to do a better job of talking to one another, of educating one another about our differences, about learning, and, and about overcoming that hate. Because we are stronger together as a, a community where people can be different but contribute and be safe and be welcomed and, and accepted for just being who they are. And feels like that's been under assault a lot lately. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely has. And um, I just, it's, it, it's a heartbreaking situation. And I, I do look at where we're at now. And I just, I know that a lot of this is just cynical political actors and people who want to have other political agendas and they're using this to further agendas outside of this but it just is is the very worst thing to go at is is go at the just i'm gonna separate you and make you into a minority so therefore the majority will vote with me because we're all going to be mad at you together and that's happened to the muslim community i think back to stephen harper's barbaric cultural practices hotline that's absolutely on there we're seeing it happening in the united states right now like it's it's and it hasn't really popped out entirely from a provincial or federal perspective yet here for the most part all uh, of the parties in ottawa that have sitting mps have members who are i believe just gay and lesbian there might be some some bisexual members as well but uh we don't have a trans member yet at this point as far as as i know federally but the the, the point stands is we have members of, of that community who are who are you know sitting there in elected office you're sitting elected office right now so we, we've seen it in the and United we States, have, get we worse. have members who are, are not from the LGBTQ plus community yep. who come out as as good strong allies too. Absolutely. And I know people want to say, you know, well, yes, but that's you know Lindsay Matheson and the NDP or Peter Fragiscatos and the Liberals. But Karen Vecchio attends Pride festivals too. Mm-hmm. Karen Vecchio, as a member of the Conservative Caucus, is still there supporting us too. So it's not. You're right. It's it's not a partisan issue no. in terms. In of, 2004, it was. It absolutely in, was. In 2023, it's not. No. But there was news yesterday about the federal government releasing uh, or making $1.5 million in funding available for Pride Festival securities. Yeah. I can remember when I worked for Irene Matheson at, at, when she was an MP for London Fanshawe, helping both the Islamic Center and the London Muslim Mosque with uh, seeking out security grants mm-hmm. because of the threat that was posed to them at the time. So, and a lot of these, these hate mongers... Yep. Love to play the role of your friend for a little while to get you against somebody else. Right. But people should make no mistake. The the same people who are coming after the LGBTQ community today, tomorrow will be coming after the Muslim community because they're not Christian. Right. And the, the next day they'll be coming after the Jewish community. And this is how they operate. They divide Yep. But then, and, and then, then they, they seek convince to pick people, you off one by one. And they convince people to vote against their own economic interests because they've used that division. Yep. That's how it goes. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the divide and conquer mentality. And, and they're, 
they're doing it rather effectively at the moment. And the only way that we can push back against that is to be better than that and to bring people together instead of divide them apart. So what do we do right now? So we're having Pride uh, in Wortley on the weekend. That, that's I guess we just continue to have the party and, and hope there's nothing negative. I know I was talking with some folks at London Police yesterday. I, I'm not sure if I should be saying this publicly, but uh, I was talking with some folks at London Police yesterday who are not necessarily uh, have condition to uh, to speak to the media, but they say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have an eye on, on Pride in Wortley. Like we, we are going to have an eye there. So uh, there, there's going to be some folks there. Yeah. And I, yeah. I won't talk about any operational decisions yeah. the police have made. I'll, I'll be careful not to do that. But I had some conversations. They're keeping an eye on. Uh, yesterday yeah. as well. And yeah, you know what? I will be there on Saturday with my rainbow colored Superman t-shirt on uh, up there on stage talking to the people who attend. Uh, Councillor Frank will be standing right beside me as, as a great ally. And we just need people to continue to be leaders. And we need to have the willingness to have those difficult conversations, especially the leadership of the communities. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, I have had some good conversations with some leaders uh, in the Muslim community since the, our last podcast on this issue. Uh, and I'll continue to have those. Um, I will tell you, it's it's not a one-way dialogue because I have some criticisms to share with them too, but I also accept the criticisms that, that they're sending our way. Mm-hmm. And actually, we found some common ground in agreeing that some of the criticism belongs with the provincial government. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> uh, and in terms of how they they inform or, or really don't inform, in some cases, uh, parents about what's actually being taught in our schools, yes. in our in our human they development. They do a bad job of that. They do a terrible and, job of and, that. And, you know, I've criticized the Wynn government quite a bit for a variety of reasons, many of which I'll stand Justified. by. Justified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't talk about Ontario Works ODSP. You have the chance to fix that, Kathleen. However, uh, I will give them praise here. Uh, their curriculum, their sex ed curriculum, the one they created, made a ton of sense. It caught us up. We were way, way, way behind we were on that front. Behind. Way behind. And in 20, uh, what year was it? They, they 15, I think. Uh, might have been 16. Either way, they caught us up. Uh, the current government put, they, they turned us back the clock. Not 2003 turned back the clock, but they turned the, back the clock a little bit. And, and they've just kind of muddied the waters here as far as what's being taught and what's not. And most importantly, at what grade what's being taught and what's not. That's the real key. It's it's not so much that they've pulled anything out of the curriculum. Yeah. It's that they haven't communicated to parents what is being taught at age-appropriate levels right? Uh, and when these things are being taught. You know, I, I know from a conversation I had after the last podcast that there was a parent who pulled their child out the day that the flag raising was happening at a school because they thought that that was the day that... Uh, sex ed was hap- was going to be having a talk about sexual orientation. The letter that was sent home to parents did not specify what day that that talk was going to happen. It was, here's a list of topics we're going to be covering over the next several weeks. Yeah. Not one particular day, over the next several weeks. And here's what you have to do if you want to opt out for religious reasons, blah, blah, blah. Um, they equated the flag raising with being, that's the day that that's going to be taught. But even then... Parents don't really know. They get a bullet point, right? Uh, sexual development and sexual orientation. Well, what does that mean? What that, are you, what are you teaching yeah. my son or daughter in grade five versus what are you teaching my son and daughter in grade seven or eight? Those, those are two very different Absolutely. Uh, times in life to be teaching things. So without information, again, it's that ignorance piece that leads to fear, that leads to hate. And, and that's where 
Uh, some of the responsibility does lay with helping parents be better informed uh, yeah. so that they're not bringing their own biases to the table. And and it's no different than what uh, needs to be done in terms of what's taught in world religion classes, right? Parents should know that these are the, the various things that are being taught because uh, there may be somebody who says, well, you know what, I don't want my kid taking that class then because um, our faith is our faith and they don't need to learn yeah. about other faiths. I, I think that that's a bad road for any parent to go down. I think you should always be open to your child learning about different things. You know what they do in my daughter's kindergarten class is when it comes time for, for Christmas time, they say, hey, guess what? We're going to learn about Christmas and we're learning about Hanukkah and we're learning about Kwanzaa and we're learning about all the, and, and when it's Ramadan time, guess what? They learned about Ramadan because guess what? In my daughter's class, there's a whole bunch of kids from a whole bunch of different ethnic backgrounds. So I, I think that's, that's what I want as a parent. Like I, I like her knowing, hey, this is how different, you know, different celebrations are had in different households, different homes, because ignorance leads to hate as discussed. So, hey, yeah, I know what Muslim kids do at their house because I learned about it in school. That, that's a good thing. Like we should be embracing that. Absolutely. I, I really object to uh, language around uh, schools where they, you know, it's our winter pageant or our yeah. winter festival. No, it's your Christmas play yeah. or your Christmas pageant. Now, I'm calling, calling it holiday too. If you say, okay, these are the following holidays are going to be discussed at this pageant. Like, okay, great. But, but yeah. I think you, the way you do this is, and you just said it, you don't take away from the calendar. You add to yeah. the calendar. You find more things. To Guess what? There. Hanukkah comes before Christmas. Yeah. So, so have a Hanukkah celebration yeah. in, at the appropriate date and then have a Christmas celebration at the appropriate date and, and have an Eid celebration at an appropriate date. Yep. Mark, all of these things grow by adding, not by subtracting. Don't, don't, yeah. uh, you know... That old adage about history is, uh, you know, those who don't learn from it are doomed to repeat it. Well, taking away information, that's that's failing to learn from history. Let's no. learn from that history, but let's learn by addition. Let's add the other great things that other cultures bring to the mix and, and create a society where all of those things are recognized. And it's okay to be different. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you, you're mentioning that there's a failure on the, the part of uh, those at various school boards around the province to explain, okay, this is exactly what's being taught. And this is when, and I don't need the whole lesson, but like, hey, at this grade, you learn this. At this grade, you learn that. Like just walking parents through that, I think would solve a lot of problems here as far as people being concerned about what's going on at, at Thames Valley District School Board schools. Yeah, and getting it from a person in, in that position of authority, uh, whether it's from the Ministry of Education or in the school boards A principal, attending home a letter, whatever it is, yep. Um, because as we talked about with the fake flyers, with the, the drag queen lap dances for children, there's a lot of misinformation being right. deliberately circulated out there and, and that needs to be called out as misinformation, but the best way to do that is provide good, legitimate information, credible information, information that can be fact-checked and verified so that at the end of the day, parents know what's actually happening in the classroom. And I think that that would go a long way. Yeah. Well, it's, and uh, then we won't see the children in grade five or six today in six years tearing down a pride flag at Banting Secondary School or or any other secondary school, whether it's here in London or anywhere else in this province. Yeah, and and that, yeah, that's what we we don't want. We we want schools to be a welcoming, safe environment because that is not only best for. Well, it's it's best on on every single conceivable level. Specifically, uh, it's best on an educational level. If you feel like you're in a welcome, safe environment, you're going to learn better. Well, and I said this in the last podcast too, and. I'm going to repeat it. The reason that those pride flags fly 
is to let those students who identify as 2SLGBTQ students know that their school is a safe place for them. Because you don't have to come out as black. Yeah. You don't have to come out as Muslim. You're you're generally and people can choose a new faith as their life yeah. goes on, but generally you're born into a faith community, you're, whether that's Catholic or, yep. or Anglican or Muslim or Jewish. You don't have to come to mom and dad. You and don't say, have to yeah. come and say, guess what, mom? I'm Muslim. Yeah. Guess what, mom? I'm Jewish. Guess what, mom? I'm black. Guess what, mom? I'm Chinese or I'm Asian or I'm yeah. South Asian. Or yeah. You do have to still do that yeah. if you're gay or if you're lesbian or if you're a trans child. And that is an incredibly hard thing to do. And that is why those flags fly at schools, to let them know that they can be safe in their school environment if they cannot be safe anywhere else in their life. Yeah, yeah. and that's something we should be uh, trying very hard to achieve and make sure happens. And like, you know, I, I got all sorts of garbage messages about that. And, uh, you know, and, and the other one that comes up, and you and I are on the same page when it comes to, to Catholic school boards in the province of Ontario, whereas they should not be Oh, yeah, let's funded. just yeah. cut their funding. Let's use that for more parent education and uh, get rid of the Catholic school <laughs> board. And we can just hire more teachers with that money. Crazy idea. Well, we're still going to need, yeah. need the same number of teachers and the same number of schools because we're yep. still going to have the same number of students. And, oh, well, yeah, maybe if we get rid of a couple of extra... Administrators? Ad redundant administrators, we could hire a couple more teachers and provide some yeah. continuous learning for and parents. And fix some so. of the schools that are falling apart, which I've talked about on this podcast as well. Uh, the other thing that I found to be interesting was when I, I sent out a tweet saying, hey, the Catholic board should not be publicly funded. They're going to be doing stuff like this because it was when York Region said they're not going to do pride flags. And someone said to me, oh, you're, you're siding with the groomers. And I said, well, I've got some bad news for you. If you're concerned about uh, a massive organizational wide grooming, Catholicism has a way bigger problem than the LGBTQ plus <laughs> community does. But that's... And that is a... <laughs> that's just the numbers. Sorry. But facts. Yeah. That's the, just... the hard numbers show that. And yeah. there's there's no debating that. So there there's nobody that's perfect in this world. And, and that's the thing. We just have to find a way to live with the fact that human beings are different from the day we're born until the day we die. We all have different likes, dislikes, components of our personality, um, beliefs, uh, all of those things that make us who we are. We're unique as individuals and and that should be celebrated it shouldn't be the the last thing we should want is to live in a society where everybody is just a complete conformist to everything what a boring world that would be yeah uh, at the end of the day i mean it's good that we're different I, I, I mean, Cheryl Miller might argue that it's best if everybody just agrees with her, but um, <laughs> uh, maybe she's maybe she's not that far off there. <laughs> uh, she she has a pretty good track record yeah. of being right, but um, uh, I did want to um, say though, you know, in all the years that that we've been talking, whether it was uh, in a former Friday Roundtable format or or the current podcast format, have you ever had a podcast that's changed a vote at City Council before? I have not. I've had uh, stories that I've done that have led to censure votes at city council, uh, but I've never, <laughs> I've never had a podcast that's changed a vote on municipal issue. And I know I, I, I want to appreciate. Well, you're you one and oh now yeah, because yeah. you did have one. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, and and a shout out to Robin Schwartz, who I, I hope gets a chance to listen to this podcast too, because uh, I found your interview with her on NIMBYism versus heritage a really good conversation. Yeah. And it made Robin's me, pretty sharp. She knows what's up. Yeah, and it made me rethink a vote that I cast at planning committee yeah. that I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to. And, it, you know, not that it's an excuse, but 
it, it was a staff recommendation. The applicant didn't show up to to disagree with it. And there were a whole lot of other big items on mm-hmm. the agenda that night. It was several hundred pages of reading to prep for it. And so it it went along to deny that heritage alteration permit. And, and when it came to council yesterday, uh, it made me change my vote. And surprisingly, um, made enough members of council change their vote that uh, we actually approved yeah. the heritage permit uh, and allowed that vinyl porch uh, to stay because it doesn't look out of character and because we don't need to micromanage every material that somebody puts into a renovation to to keep heritage properties functional. Well, yeah, and that's true. And the the argument, uh, I, I think I think this is part of your argument, but I know that some other councillors said the same thing. Um, if what we're looking at here is the climate lens, uh, letting people use vinyl instead of wood, that's what we should be doing. If, from the perspective of resource usage and things along those lines, if 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 the if the number one lens that we're looking at this from is the climate one, you should be able to use vinyl. Well, and we know probably the biggest advocate on climate issues at council right now is Councillor Frank, yeah. who actually uh, it was her podcast with you that I tuned in to listen to, and, and then, then the and one. then got to the podcast with Robin, uh, and you know she even said yesterday she's not thrilled with vinyl as a material because of course it is plastic and that is a limited resource and it's mm-hmm. not great for the environment but at the same time she didn't want to tell the owner that they'd have to tear it out because that vinyl wasn't going to go to a home in in ward two or, no. or, or somewhere else that it was vinyl. going to end up in the landfill yeah, exactly so it didn't make sense after the fact to say you've you've got to use and the the the, the resource that lasts longer makes mm-hmm. sense from that perspective too would uh, you know we build houses with wood for a very long time in our society we figured out better stuff because wood doesn't have the same track record as other materials do. Especially when you have a building or, or a porch or whatever in, you know, a country like Canada where we have four very different seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's 35 degrees. Sometimes it is... It's minus 35. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if you so, live in Winnipeg, colder than the surface of Mars. Yeah. <laughs> also that. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the point stands that... Um, there's a few different lenses one can look at that story. And I understand the process. I like, I, that's one where like I, the, the five that voted the other way on that, like I understood the thought process. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be mad. Like sometimes I don't understand the thought process on certain votes. That one I completely get. Uh, hey, you should ask for the, the, the permit before you start making moves. And that to me is on the contractor. That is not on the. the well, and that even makes me yeah. think about, um, because in this case, this is a part three heritage designation, right? It's not a building that itself yeah, alone. The, the neighborhood is a heritage. Would have a heritage yes. designation. It has a heritage designation by virtue of being part of a neighborhood yeah. with a heritage conservation district designation. That's different than a part four designation, which I was very supportive of in a tenant event on Saturday in my ward where we designated the Clark House, mm-hmm. uh, which goes back to 1858. I hope I'm getting that year right because I'm not looking at my phone and I'm going to be embarrassed if I was just at a plaque unveiling where I got the year wrong. But, um, that is a true heritage property with a part four designation because the building itself has architectural and historical heritage value. That's very different than a part three where it's just part of a neighborhood and, and we we like the way the neighborhood looks, so we don't want to let it change. And I'm not a fan of telling neighborhoods they've got to be flies in amber anyway, but um, I, I understand where people's thought process, processes were, but it does lead to the discussion of Maybe we need to revisit how we do what some the of these rules? heritage conservation yeah. districts and what are the rules. I mean, I think we Do we could need have, some of these districts at all? I think we could have a northwestern bus rapid transit road in the works if 
somebody hadn't slapped a heritage conservation district on Blackfriars and made a Warren Cliff Road a problem. Yeah. So there are consequences to these things, including some practices that might be bad for the environment in the future. So it is time we have a a, a renewed conversation about that. And, and I really uh, wanted to say to Robin and, and to you, that was a very thought-provoking podcast and it made me change a vote. Yeah, well, there you go. I appreciate that. See? We can have uh, we can have an impact on things, and I like I haven't talked to the guy who owns that porch, but see uh, uh, needles at uh, blackburnmedia.ca if you want to send me an email thanking me, and we take gift cards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much, Sean. For Craig coming has in. been known to take the odd beer or two as a thanks as well. So I want to be very clear. I'm joking about that. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming, in, Sean. Appreciate it. it was a good chat today. Uh, no, as as much as it's uh, been a negative couple of days, um, it's also been a positive couple of days. Uh, you know, and I, thanks to you to, you know, giving a platform to me to, to have a little bit deeper conversation on this. Um, but I also want to say, just in closing, a, a thanks to all the people in London who I've heard from in the last day or so who've reached out to just express their support and their thanks for my comments at council yesterday. Um, it, I didn't do it for the kudos. I did it because it was coming from a genuine place of wanting to recognize the importance of Pride Month. Uh, but for all the negativity that I felt, your positive messages and your encouragement and, and your kind words have been uplifting at the same time. So um, that that's just proof positive right there that it does get better. No, no. I, uh, I think that's a, a good spot to leave it at. Sean, thanks for this. And you can find more of the Craig Needles podcast at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and wherever you get your podcast. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 